Hi, and welcome to Failureology, a podcast about engineering failures. I'm your host, Nicole. And I'm Brian, and we're both from Calgary, Alberta. This episode of Failureology is brought to you by Shorts, Shorts, Shorts. They're shorts that are short. Made by shorts. Not to be confused with pants. These are different. This seems pretty self-explanatory from the name, but yet, here we are trying to fill the next 15 seconds of advertising time. We're going to do something a little bit different today. The first episode of Failureology dropped on November 16th, 2020. Hey, that's like a year ago. (laughs) I know, right? So on the eve of our one-year anniversary, we want to take a pause and talk about all the things that went right and wrong over our first year of this show, which has, if I'm being honest, there were ups and downs for sure, but this has been a really, really exciting project. And we're going to get into it a little bit, but it's kind of jump-started a lot of other projects and things for me. So that's been really cool. Yeah, I, I think it's been super cool. Obviously, first as just a listener to Failureology, and then uh, now as a co-host. So um, I get to hear myself talk on <laughs> Failureology episodes, which is uh, which is a little strange, actually, because we're all used to hearing our own voice, and then your voice is coming out of your headphones. Um, and it doesn't quite sound the way that I, I thought it sounded. So uh, it's it's been super Exciting for me, I think, to to move from listener to to co-host, but that also means I have to do a little bit more work on the on the research side, on the recording side, and I got to set aside time for recording. I can't just listen whenever I have a spare moment. But uh, no, it's it's been a it's been a great eight episode, eight plus episode run experience for me. No, I I think it's cool that I got involved in this. Yeah, thanks for joining. I I was getting to the point where I'm jumping a little ahead a little bit, but I was getting to the point where researching and talking to myself was getting pretty boring and it was starting to feel like a chore. And so then I kind of thought, well, what can I do different? And yeah, so I decided a co-host would be a great idea. And you were kind of the biggest fan. You were, you know, you liked all the the, po- the posts and you listened to the episodes and you sent me messages about other ep- failures that I could talk about and feedback on the episodes. And so I thought that was that was great. And so I was like, oh, Brian, maybe Brian's interested. And then you were, and here we are. Yeah, no, it was, uh, even before Failureology uh, launched, maybe the, the first episode that came out, I you'd messaged me and said that you had a podcast about engineering failures. And I thought that was, that was super cool. So I, I gave, you know, the first episode a listen or the first couple episodes of whatever was up there. And I, uh, it's like, this is, this has some really good content. This is really interesting. There's tons of stuff in here that I, have either never heard of or heard about it just, you know, as a, as a headline. Then I get to learn more about it. And then, uh, yeah, I just reached out and I was like, Hey, what if you did some episodes about this? So yeah, when you, when you called to ask if I was interested in co-hosting, I thought that was, would be a good step since as a, as a kid in elementary school, I wanted to be a play-by-play sports cast, play-by-play guy. And that obviously didn't, didn't happen. So this is probably the closest that I'll, that I'll ever get to it. Yeah. It's, this is the new radio. Yes, yes, and uh, clearly I don't have a face for TV, so this is a this is a perfect fit. <laughs> um, okay, so we're gonna go into a little bit of background. Just I've talked about this before on episodes, but I don't talk about it on every episode. So if if you're kind of choosing which episodes based on the failure, might not have heard of this story before. But kind of how I got started. So I got my P Tech designation, which my professional technologist of engineering designation. Uh, earlier this year in April. But in order to apply for that, I had to write the National Professional Practice Exam, 
which is ex- essentially a an exam on engineering ethics and construction law. And there's, there's a number of case studies in that as well. It's been quite a few years since I wrote that exam for, for a PN designation, but I, I'm fairly certain there are a bunch of case studies that I've read for that exam. Yeah, so they recommend you read two textbooks in addition to other reading. And one of the textbooks, the ethics textbook, had had a case study at the end of every chapter. And I was rushing through the chapter because I just wanted to get to the case study. And I wouldn't let myself cheat and look ahead at the next case study because I used it. I wanted to use it as incentive to keep reading. And I've always wanted to do a podcast, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do it on. I think there's a lot of people that make podcasts that just, you know, have topics that are done a lot. I mean, we do chit chat quite a bit on some of these episodes. (laughs) Yeah, we definitely have tangents. But I I didn't want to make something that's been done a lot. Like, for example, I really like true crime. But I didn't want to do a true crime podcast because there's so many out there. That market, to me, is saturated. And so then I kind of started thinking about, you know, these engineering failures and these case studies. And they were really interesting. And I, I wanted to read about them. So surely other people did. And I started looking into it. And there are not many other podcasts out there that do engineering failures. There's a few that do failures in addition to other things, uh, but none, well, one, there's one other that I know of that does exclusively engineering failures. So that was definitely, that kind of, you know, got me excited about doing something a little bit different or something new that people aren't already getting in their podcast library. So that's kind of how I started it. Yeah. So, so you had this idea for this, for this podcast, this engineering podcast about engineering failures we all have these great ideas and then sometimes you, you research them a little bit more or you get further down the rabbit hole of what's really involved in them and decide that they're not going to happen. And obviously we're listening to failureology and recording another episode. So you overcame some of the hurdles that, that were, that were in place. Um, so what were some of those hurdles to going from this idea of having a podcast about engineering failures to having a podcast that is now on episode 36? So lucky for me, I'm very stubborn. And like I said, I've wanted to have a podcast for probably 10 years. So this was definitely something I wanted. But yeah, there's definitely some hurdles to overcome. So first of all, is there even enough content? And spoiler alert, there is so much content. We have an ongoing tracking list that we use to look. Essentially, if someone mentions an engineering failure to us, we put it on the list. And then when we're picking which episodes we're going to be doing in the near future and which ones we want to start researching, we look on that list and pick from there. And that list has sat continuously at 75 to 100 failures. And even when we take some off, more always get added. So there's so many on there. And and in fact, that's why we started the bonus episodes that we're doing on our Patreon, because there's so many failures on there and some of them we just can't cover on these shows because the either the cause is really simple or there's not a lot of information because it happened a long time ago, but they're still really interesting stories. And so we created our Patreon to, well, to also get support for the show, but so that we could tell these other stories that we wanted to tell and, and make them a little bit more manageable because the, the bonus episodes are maybe 10, 15 minutes long. So they're a little bit shorter. They're a little bit easier to put together research-wise, recording, editing-wise, Um, And that allows us to kind of provide some content once a week without doing full-blown episodes every week. So that's kind of where that came from. I also, obviously, I've never done a podcast before. I had to figure out how to record, how to edit, how to do, how to put music together, what I wanted the show to be structured like, what types of failures I wanted to cover, 
how to grow the audience with social media, which is not something I'm really super strong at. You know, I don't have, I don't really have a personal social media. So yeah. And, and this was the great thing about jumping into this podcast, you know, 25, 28 episodes into it. Um, I didn't have to figure out all of this stuff. I could just <laughs> literally ask you what I needed to do for a recording setup or what programs I needed to use or, you know, how the structure of the show work. In fact, for, for a lot of the research this here on some of the episodes, like it's, you've already set up the structure for it. So it, it works out really well, I think on for me, because you had to go through all of these, these challenges for figuring out the software and the, the microphone setup. I think that, you know, setting up all of those things is kind of a, almost a barrier to entry for some people. And so as much as I think, I think you're having fun now. And I think, you know, co-hosting the show with you has been great. But had I said, come to you before I started and said, hey, Brian, I want to do this podcast. What do you think? You probably would have been like, I don't know, maybe because <laughs> it's because it's a lot to put together. I, I probably still would have been on board. I, I say yes to, to most things that, that somebody brings up, especially if I, I think they sound interesting. But we should actually tell people your recording setup. And then I can, I can talk a little bit about my recording setup just in case somebody out there that's listening is interested in starting their own podcast. Yeah, so I started recording in my closet and I hated it because I had to move everything there and it didn't feel like my workspace. And then I recorded under blankets for a little bit, but that was really annoying because you get hot and this and is true. I've, I've done this a couple episodes. Yeah, and then I started putting blankets up kind of on the wall behind where I was recording. And then my most recent setup that I like the most works the best probably going to keep it for a while. I bought one of those three-sided poster boards and I spray glued one foot by one foot acoustic panels onto it. And I kind of, that's kind of sits behind my computer at the back of my desk between me and the wall. And that's really gotten rid of all the echoes. It helps cut down on some of the other noise. And so that's, that's kind of been the biggest piece for me as far as recording setup. That's been a huge help. And I think you built a similar one you kind of gone through the same progression. Did build a similar one. And again, I essentially leaned on Cole. I'd seen her setup and I decided that uh, that seemed like a great idea. It seemed to be working really well for Nicole. Um, so I built a very similar setup. It, it, uh, I just pop it up on my, on my desk. Um, when we record, I have a little shelf for my laptop so that way I can see what we're doing for show notes. And then, uh, as far as the recording goes, Nicole and I record in, in separate locations at the same time. So we'll just have a Microsoft Teams or we'll just have a have a video session going as well so I can see Nicole. Nicole can see me. And then um, I wound up buying a, or purchasing a microphone that was set up for podcasts. So it has the uh, the extension arm. So it, to me, it looks like a really professional looking <laughs> setup. Uh, it's got the little uh, a pea shield in front of the in front of the microphone. So um, it muffles some of the, the harder sounds, I believe, K sounds and P sounds. Mm-hmm. So, so it seems to work fairly well. I mean, it was a fairly low cost setup, you know, for myself. But I'm, I'm glad that somebody like Nicole was there that I could ask a bunch of questions to to see what would work. Yeah. So we were, and we record separately. So yeah, like Brian mentioned, we're in separate locations, and we each have we use Audacity as our recording program, and we each record separate audio files. And then Brian sends me his, his audio file. I import it into mine, and then I edit that way. We've tried recording in person, but it's really hard. I'm not an audio engineer, and it's I found it really hard to cut out all of the background noise. So my mic will pick up Brian talking, and Brian's mic will pick up me talking. And then also when I'm when you're editing, you know, because your computer has one input. So you now when you edit, you have 
everybody talking on one track. And so if we interrupt each other or one talks over the other, it's really hard to edit that, edit around that. And I didn't, I, I don't know, maybe it's just cause I'm used to doing it because I've done so many episodes this way, but I, I almost like recording remotely better. Like I just find editing is a lot simpler. But if you know how to record <laughs> in person with two people at yes. two different microphones, I do have a, a two channel, I believe maybe four channel, two channel switching board. But I couldn't really get it working to sound very good. So this is this is what we settled on. And it kind of works better for, for schedules that way. We don't have to be in the same location at the same time. We just need to be uh, online at the same time. Yeah. But yeah, if you do know how to do it, let us know. I mean, I know it's possible because I listen to other podcasts and there's four people that are in the same studio recording a podcast. Yeah. But maybe they have a bigger budget than us. They probably do. But they probably aren't sponsored by some of the great sponsors that we have. <laughs> Speaking of which, the fake ads, that was all Brian's idea. And it's one of my favorite additions to the show. It is so fun to do. I, every time we record, I laugh. And yes, they're silly. Some of them are dumb, really dumb. But I laugh so hard after recording them, usually at how dumb they are. And that's why we're making them. We hope that they make you laugh too. Those are so funny. We just figured that every podcast has an advertiser which is great because podcasts aren't free to produce take time and they take money and they take effort but i got really tired of hearing some of the same advertisers multiple times on different podcasts so i just figured nobody's sponsoring our podcast we might as well make up some fake advertisers yeah and if you have any ideas for fake ads let us know because we are always looking for more and again so funny we love a good laugh Especially some of these episodes are so heavy. Do you have a favorite fake advertiser that we've done? I know what yours is. Sit down, stand up paddleboard. 100%. That's my favorite one. What's your What's your favorite one? Um, I think I really like Mediocre Clips. It's your favorite out-of-bathroom haircutting experience was a really funny line for me. Is that because you've cut your hair more than once during the pandemic in the bathroom? <laughs> Yeah, I think that it, it was a very really, relatable ad for you. Very relatable. I mean, isn't it for you? I have not cut my hair in the bathroom during the pandemic. What? Why? That's part of the COVID experience, Brian. This is a once in a lifetime experience. I just let it go wild. I was like, I embraced the the inner 80s mullet that I knew I had in me. And uh, oh I let God. it go for, for quite a few months. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, do you have pictures? I want to see. I do not have pictures. That's unfortunate. You really didn't cut your hair at all. Well, no, I my hair my hair grows slowly. It's like I so so I felt I had some like window of time to to work with. So in Alberta, we've had a we've had varying stages of, of restrictions during COVID, as I'm sure most of our other listeners have had, with what could be open and what couldn't be open. So during some of the restrictions, hair cutting was closed. During some other restrictions, they were open. Um, so I just had to time it really well where I'd get a haircut and just hope for the best that. They would be opening it in, you know, three or four months when I needed another haircut. I probably cut my hair at home like three or four times. It's awful, too. The haircut or the, the experience? Well, it just the hair gets everywhere. And like you're just covered in hair and it's it's not a pleasant experience. I did not enjoy it. I mean, it's very convenient, but it's also a huge pain in the butt. It's very messy. There's a bowl sort of device that you can get. I mean, it's like a big upside down umbrella that's got a piece cut out for your neck that you can, I guess, clip mount to your neck. And it, it basically takes in all the hair that comes off your head when you do the hair cutting. Or you could just cut it outside. 
Yeah, I live in an apartment, so cutting it outside was probably not going to happen. But either way, crisis averted. The hair cutting places are open now, so I don't have to cut my own hair anymore. You're putting mediocre clips out of business. They'll never sponsor our podcast again. I don't know about that. We can bring them back. We make the rules, Brian. We're going to have to make them pay a fee, I think. <laughs> Maybe. Okay, so in the last year, what's changed? What? Where have we grown? Oh, can I move on? So in the last year since you've been hosting us, or you know, I guess even the last like four months that I've hopped on as a co-host, what's changed since the start? So I started out uh, with weekly episodes, which I still love the idea of weekly episodes, but my life does not allow space for weekly episodes. And I found it really, really hard to keep up. And it was becoming a bit too chore-like. So that just, yeah, that just wasn't sustainable. And so I think I lasted until the end of March of 2021. And then I switched to bi-weekly. And that's been a lot easier to deal with. But like I said earlier, I love the idea of weekly episodes. I just can't do a weekly 45 minute episode on a huge failure. And so that's where the Patreon comes in and these bonus episodes. It allows me some it allows us some space to do weekly episodes without kind of overdoing it or over taxing our time. Yes. So just as an estimate, I mean, most of our episodes are, are 45 minutes between research and recording and, and editing. Uh, like how much time do you think each 45 minute episode takes out of your out of your time? I would say we probably spend an hour or two researching and then an hour to an hour and a half recording and then probably like two hours to edit. So I would say like four or five hours an episode. Okay. So it's not it's not crazy, but I I mean, I and I do want to talk about this in a bit, but I do, I do have a lot of other projects and things that I'm doing and a stressful job. And I'd like to try to have a life a little bit of one anyways. So, you know, doing I don't want to only do the podcast because I mean, that's not fun either. And then this show starts to suffer. I feel like I feel like the quality of the show you know, every time I've made a change, such as, you know, dropping to buy weekly episodes, Brian joining as a co-host, you know, adding these fake ads. Every time we do something like that, it it improves the quality of the show. It improves the content. And that's what I hope people are coming for is good content. That's that's the point of making a podcast. I mean, you don't you don't make a podcast for downloads or ads or getting rich. You make a podcast to have good content for people to listen to. You want people to enjoy it. Yeah, and I think um, never having done a podcast or hosting a podcast before I helped Nicole out on the co-hosting stuff, I didn't realize how much time went into preparing a podcast. There's a few podcasts they listen to that have weekly episodes that come out. I know there's podcasts out there that have more or less daily episodes, and there's a substantial amount of work that goes into podcasts. And I, I assume the daily podcast or the, you know, every other day podcast, they probably have people that do some of the research and the production stuff, but the people that are have a very small podcast team or, you know, it's just the hosts that are doing the podcast. That's a lot of time commitment to put something out on a, on a weekly or, or a sooner than weekly basis. It also depends on how popular the failure is. So there's some failures that I've wanted to do that I think are popular. And then I go to research them and I can't find information. There's some that I go to research and there's too much information and it's almost, it's really challenging to sift through. And then there's some that are just right. And so that's been, Interesting. You know, it's the ones that you think are going to be really easy that are always really hard and vice versa. So that's that's always fun. Do you have a favorite episode out of the 35 that are available online right now? Do you have a favorite one or one that stands out to you at all? I like all of them, I'm going to say. 
As far as the topic, are you asking for the topic or the like recording of the episode? Uh, both, I guess. So as far as topic, the um, New Orleans levee failures it, during Hurricane Katrina is probably that one combined with the Grenfell Tower fire, which are both extremely tragic stories, I think are the most interesting to me. And they both kind of have a common theme in that several things went wrong and there were several chances to course correct and they were all ignored. And then this really terrible, tragic event happens. And also the people in both of those stories are still dealing with the consequences of those failures. So those ones really struck a chord with me. And those were really early on. So that's episode two was the levees and Grenfell Tower was episode four. So that's, I think those were the two most interesting as far as the failure itself. I think as far as the recording, probably the comet, because that was Brian's first episode. And man, I did not know what I was doing when we recorded that one. <laughs> I know, but you know, I'm, we have notes where you record, we, when we record, we, we have a Google, shared Google doc where we put all our notes in and we can both see the notes and, you know, I'm kind of following along in the notes and, and, you know, reading the information in that doc and brian is just spewing information out of his brain like it's like he knows so much about the comet i'm like how did you know all this but it's because brian loves planes i uh, i do a little bit better on the uh, on the airplane episodes or kind of aviation related ones than the, than the building collapse ones for you know things that i've, I've read about or have knowledge of my before i was an engineer i was doing the aviation thing so i was a commercial pilot so that's where the interest in some of the the aviation related failures comes from on on my part um, but yeah, the, the comment one, I, I think looking back was a really fun one to record for me. Um, I think we tried to record it two or three times. There were, there were some various failures for mostly on my part, I think for, for equipment or, um, <laughs> just the setup or just me not knowing what I was really supposed to be doing. Um, but yeah, that was, that was really fun just as a, as a first podcast episode that I'd ever recorded or been a part of in, in any way. I think at first too, we haven't, we hadn't figured out our dynamic or our sound on the podcast and so I just kind of kept talking and waiting for you to interrupt me but then you didn't know when to interrupt me and so now you just interrupt me anytime you feel like it which is perfect yeah I, I was trying to be polite and uh, <laughs> let Nicole say what she wanted to say and then she just keep going and going and going and I I couldn't find a good spot to to ask a question or to intrude with what I wanted to say or if I was going to say something I was like oh Nicole just covered that so I guess I'll just let her keep talking yeah so that that took a few episodes to hash out. I think the Kursk episode was really good too. Uh, that one was really fun, actually. I mean, it was that again. These are all really sad, so fun is not the best word. But that one was just interesting to record because the rescue effort was so bad, so bad. There were yeah, in the Kursk one, there were a lot of things that uh, it was almost a comedy of errors. The whole the whole rescue attempt and the way that. It was downplayed with with Russian media, and there were a lot of things going wrong in the Kursk episode that uh, didn't need to go wrong. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, a, a substantial number of, of submariners lost their life in that. Yeah. What's your favorite episode? My favorite episode is probably the Apollo 1 episode. Um, and the reason that I liked the Apollo 1 episode was because I'd, I'd been a big fan, and I'd, I'd done a lot of reading about the Mercury program, which was the, the initial program that the Americans had come up with for manned spaceflight. And, and Gus Grissom was a, was a big part of the Mercury program. And unfortunately, 
like we found out in Apollo One, him and two other astronauts perished on the on the launch pad in the in the fire. Yeah, that Apollo One was another one where I'm reading the notes because I don't know as much about that, and Brian's just pulling a whole bunch of information out of his brain, and I'm like, how do you know all of this? And so now I figured out that we need to we need to harness which episodes those are for Brian, and then we'll focus on those going forward. So expect more playing episodes to come in the future. I'm very excited about that development. <laughs> so starting a podcast is, a, you know, obviously you mentioned it, it's a huge goal of yours, but starting is one thing and then continuing to have episodes and content. Did you have a, like a goal for downloads or number of episodes or, you know, even just an interesting, you know, if, if you had five episodes and, you know, 50 downloads was that going to be like a, a big check mark for podcast success or did you have loftier goals? Yeah. I, so I, I set goals every year and I mean, you could call them resolutions, but I really just like to give myself a list of things I want to achieve that year. So I'm, I'm definitely not shy to setting goals. I, you know, every episode to me is a success. So, I mean, even today, every episode is a success. Getting to this first year is huge, but I started out the show with a goal to get a thousand downloads. And we hit that not right away, but pretty early on, like within the first six months, I'll say. And so to date, we're sitting around 3,500 downloads, and this is our 36 episodes. So we have about, on average, 100 downloads per episode. Some are more, some are less, which is kind of cool to see which ones are the most popular because I think a lot of people are downloading based on the failure topic. And so that's interesting to see which ones people enjoy the most because some of the episodes that are not as popular I found to be really, really interesting. And so I hope if people download an episode based on the failure specifically and they enjoy the show that they check out some of the other episodes because there's some really cool ones that we've done over the last year. Yeah, certainly some some episodes that I don't feel a lot of people have heard about. Certainly there's some in here that I've listened to that I hadn't heard about that as a failure before it came up on the show. Yeah, and I try, I mean, structural ones are really common just because they're so catastrophic. But I do, well, we try to make an effort to do well-rounded failures. And so we try to cover a little bit of everything. Try not to cover so many, you know, I didn't I didn't want to do just buildings and bridges. That's no fun I because, well, eventually the failures start to become very similar to ones you've already covered. And so I'm glad that we're doing planes and you know, spacecraft and submarines and, you know, the Ford Pinto and, and that kind of stuff. So I I am trying, yeah, I do want to make sure that we stay diverse in the types of failures that we're covering. And then I also, you know, I do have some goals for year two. I'm really happy with what we've accomplished so far, as I said, and I'm hoping to keep growing and improving. So that includes the Patreon and our bonus content, as I said. We've got a few failures up there already. We've got Lake Panier, which drained into a salt mine in a matter of minutes. We've got the walkie-talkie building that melted a car. The Manchester CIS building, which had mosaic tiles that were falling off the building for 40 years until they did something about it. And then our most recent is about the Cantera Loop, which is a really challenging section of rail track. Near Dunsmuir, California. Exactly. And the, a train derailed right into the river and... That was really interesting. Also, on that one, you hear how much Brian and I love trains. Love trains. Yes. Yes. So our Patreon, it's $5 a month. You get those mini failures that Nicole just mentioned. There's obviously going to be more mini failures that go up on there. So again, the mini failures are things that have failed, but there's just not enough content that we can find to do a full 45-ish minute episode on them. 
but we still think they're really interesting. So something still fails. We still discuss the cause of failure. There's a little bit more back and forth. It's $5. You might as well check it out. Yeah. So there's a link in the show notes. And then on our website, failureology.ca, there's also a page called support that has another has the same link to the Patreon, but it also has a list of what those mini failures are. So um, if you forget the ones we've listed or you want to see you know, what's, what's coming down the road, you can always go check out that page. And I'm going to keep that up to date every week with all the new mini failures that I add. So in the future, since we're going to put out obviously more episodes, um, do you have a, uh, maybe like as a spoiler alert, do you have a favorite upcoming episode? Oh yeah. Um, mini failure or regular? How about both? Okay. So for mini failure, we're doing two mini failures they're separate but they have similar causes we're doing the gimli glider and the mars climate orbiter and those are both related to unit conversions so transferring from metric to imperial and as someone who basically straddles those two units which is really challenging you know i'm constantly converting back and forth i think those will be really really interesting to do so those are coming up in december And then as far as regular episodes, our next episode, actually, I think it's gonna be really interesting. We're going to cover the 2003 Northeast blackout, which was a power outage, which impacted Ontario and 10 states, I believe it was in the Northeast part of the US. Everyone lost power from anywhere from, I think it's a couple hours to like three or four days. And the reason that I think this failure is so interesting is because I lived it. I grew up in Southwestern Ontario. I remember this blackout. It was weird. Was it almost like a an apocalyptic feel to it? I grew up in a really small town, so there's about 800 people. And I was living at home at the time. I was still in high school. So I think, you know, if I was living in Toronto or a larger city, you know, one of the larger cities in Ontario, I probably would have had a different experience. But I was, you know, the town is so small that I don't know if it felt quite like an apocalypse, but it was definitely weird, very eerie. Out of all the episodes that we've done, or all the episodes I guess, that you've done, since I've been part of all of them, was there a, a challenging one or one that was most challenging to cover? There was a few. So the, I think the first one that was challenging was the Hartford Arena. And this is the roof collapse, right? Yes, it was a roof collapse. And it was the first one that was computer designed, which is why I wanted to cover it. I thought it was really important to talk about the fact that sometimes we just plug our information into a program and it spits out a response and we build it and we don't really put much thought into double checking that response. So I I thought that one was really important, but I'm not a structural engineer and it was a space frame design, which is kind of like an upside down wireframe pyramid type truss structure, but it's really hard. At least at the time, I had a really hard time explaining it. I don't know. Apparently right now it doesn't seem that hard to explain, but at the time trying to explain what the structure looked like and which pieces were were too weak or which ones were undersized and which ones failed first and how that all happened. It was just kind of a lot to try to explain without pictures. And and that's part of why there's a website for this podcast, because I want to include pictures of what I'm talking about, because I think that helps clarify what I'm talking about. So that was really tricky. Air France Flight 447 was also really tricky. That was pre-Brian. And so I had to learn about airplanes all on my own. And I do not know a lot about airplanes. So that one was really hard to figure out exactly what was going on and what went wrong. And then I would say the the other really challenging one was Chernobyl. Been reading about Chernobyl forever, but I 
you know, I knew that it failed and I knew kind of why it failed, but I didn't, you know, admittedly, I didn't really know the ins and outs of how a nuclear reactor worked. And so that was challenging to try to figure out, you know, I'm researching this podcast and I'm, I'm looking up videos on YouTube about like nuclear reactions and nuclear fission and how, you know, how that works and what is going on. And then eventually it just clicked for me, you know, they use the reaction of the material to basically boil water into steam and the steam turns a turbine. So once I figured that out, it was kind of smooth sailing from there, but it was a little bit tricky to get over that initial hurdle. I, you know, I don't, I don't spend a lot of time dealing or talking about nuclear power. And so that wasn't something I knew a lot about. So that was really tricky to, to cover. So I think, yeah, probably the, the failures that are the furthest from my discipline and would pro- were probably the most challenging. Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the cool things that I find about this podcast is I'm not a structural engineer either. So I get to learn about things like national fire protection codes and cladding failures and things that I don't deal with in, in any capacity um, in my day-to-day you know, engineering type work. Um, so I've also really liked that for, you know, challenges and, you know, additional learning opportunities that I've had on this podcast. So I, I can certainly relate to, you know, Chernobyl and Air France 447, even the Hartford arena, uh, when we were doing the Arecibo space telescope, when I read through the descriptions about what went wrong and the preliminary reports, and they talk about the design of the telescope, it was really hard for me to visualize what it looked like. And until I, I saw pictures of the telescope layout, it was really tough to figure out how exactly things were failing. I think, too, it's important to remember some of the reports that we're reading are written, you know, they're technical reports and they're written by engineers of that discipline for other engineers of that discipline. Not all of the reports are for public consumption. And so there's always a bit of a learning curve trying to figure out what exactly the report's saying. I will say, though, I do start with Wikipedia with almost every failure. One, because Wikipedia is fantastic, but also because they do a pretty good job of giving you a general overview of what happened. And then you can kind of fill in the gaps from there, but they give you kind of a a snapshot of the whole picture and then you add to it with the reports. Because trying to read a 300 page report and figure out exactly what happened is, is a bit challenging. Yeah, there've been a few reports that I've, I've read through for this show that are, yeah, certainly in the 100, 200 page, 300 page range. And um, they take a while to get through or at least figure out the important parts that apply to what we want to talk about in the in the failure. But one of the things that's cool is, I mean, I'm learning so much. And these are things that I, I would be reading about anyways. Like, it's not like I, I all of a sudden started reading about these failures. These are failures that I I'm watching a TV show and I'll see, they'll mention a building and I I had heard that that building collapsed. So then all of a sudden I'm looking it up and I want to read more about it. So like, I'm always reading about these types of failures. Anyways, now I'm just sharing it with you, the listeners. Yeah, that's really neat that that we were able to, or you were able to, I was able to share some of these failures with people out there that may not know about them or just know about them in passing. And, And it's an easy way to digest some of these failures, I think, versus having to go through a summary report or a 300 page report by yourself. It's just us talking about the failure. But uh, I do want to circle back to something that you, you mentioned earlier. You did say that this podcast allowed you to kickstart some other projects that you had, or do you want to share any of those projects with people that are listening? It's kind of weird how this all happened, but 
So I started the podcast. I mean, I knew I had a lot to learn. And so another podcast that I follow on Twitter did a podcast festival and it was free and it was two days of information. There was a session on a ton of different topics, branding and recording and storytelling and a bunch of other things. And I was really, really, you know, I was really interested in almost all the topics. I wanted to attend every session because I thought I want to get the most out of this I'm going to attend everyone. And there was one on science communication. And going into it, it was probably the one I was least excited about because I didn't really know what that meant. It's really just, you know, science communication is really just talking about science, which is exactly what we're doing on the show. And it's what I spend almost all of my time at work doing. You know, engineering is a science and I spend all day talking about it. And I didn't realize I was a science communicator. But from there, I, I watched that session and I was just kind of almost immediately obsessed with science, with SciComm. And I started researching more about what that was and how I could get involved in, and where I could find more people that were SciCommers, science writers, science communicators. And I found the Science Writers Communicators of Canada and they were looking for people to volunteer for their June conference. And I signed myself up. I joined their digital media team doing social media posts for all of the different conference sessions. So I learned a ton about social media. I got to attend the conference, which was really cool. I got to meet a bunch of other science communicators. And then I enjoyed it so much that I stayed on with them. And I've been part of that digital media committee ever since. And we're kind of building up our content base to continue, you know, promoting the science writers and communicators of Canada. That sounds really cool. It is really cool. And I, I most recently was appointed to their board of directors, which is really exciting. So that's a new thing for me. And then also because of this podcast and, and kind of probably when I was starting to burn out a little bit on weekly episodes and I was trying to make a change, I reached out to some friends and I started another podcast called The Glorious Ladies of Engineering. Because clearly if you have one podcast, you're starting to burn out on <laughs> the correct thing to do is to start a second one. Exactly. And so it's a podcast promoting women in engineering. Sorry, what's that podcast called? It's called Glorious Ladies of Engineering or GLOW. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So we're almost finished our first season, actually. We had 10 episodes. We interviewed a woman um, from a different discipline in each episode about, you know, how they got into their career, what they do for work, what their job looks like. And we just tried to cover as much ground as possible to show people what a career in engineering could be like. And so that's been really interesting just because, you know, I, I am a woman in engineering. And so I've lived through a lot of those challenges. And so to be able to connect with and share stories with others who have experienced some of those similar challenges has been really cool. I think, you know, there's definitely a lot of women in engineering. It's just, we're not the majority. And because of that, we all kind of feel like we're alone and we're all kind of in our own little silos, but sharing these stories and bridging that communication really kind of helps to grow our network and, and make us not feel alone. So that's been really cool. Yeah, that does sound really cool. I, I get to work with some amazing women at the company that I work at. So I am always really interested to see more women that are being involved in engineering or being involved in science. And everyone has great ideas. They're great to work with. So no, it's it's really neat that you were able to have this podcast that, that highlighted some amazing women in the engineering and science field. Yeah, I, I want to add to, you know, as much as I want more women in engineering, I don't want to push the men there out. I just want to make space at the table for both. And so I think that all the men who are in engineering deserve to be there, but the women do too. And so I'm just trying to, um, I guess, level the playing field a little bit, make it 
a little more attainable for women to be successful in engineering. And, you know, because as much as recruitment is a problem, retention is, I think, a bigger problem. So, you know, getting women interested in engineering is challenging, but getting them to stay in engineering, I think, is more challenging. It's a it's a tough career. High stress, high pace, lots of challenges, but I like it. Obviously, I like a challenge. Yeah. And then uh, one more thing. So from all of my social media content and just kind of getting my name out there, I was approached by a colleague of mine to join the Building Commissioning Association. And so I joined their Western Canadian chapter board in June. And I've been just kind of, I'm kind of new to the to the association. I'm, you know, our company's been part of the association for a while, but I myself am new. So I'm still kind of learning the ropes, getting to know everybody, but that's been really fun. I got invited to be on their diversity, equity, and inclusion committee to help them maybe adjust some of their processes, make their, their association more inclusive, get their membership kind of to be more in line with industry as far as gender and race and culture and other diverse factors and so that's been that's been really cool too. I think the most interesting thing for me is that all of these projects, well one they're really interesting, but they all they're all kind of connected in some way. So there's things that I'm learning in one that I transfer to another and there's things that I learn in that one that I transfer to another. So like I'm kind of just like sharing all of that knowledge around. And and you feel that all of these really cool, interesting sounding projects are all attributed to you starting this failureology podcast? Yeah. I do, because this is kind of the thing that started it all. Yeah, it, it, it sounds like, you know, you start the podcast and then, you know, you go to the Science Writers Conference and all of this is built on to starting the podcast. Right. I think just, yeah, having the podcast, putting myself out there, promoting the show, that's kind of been, yeah, it's almost been like an instigator to all these other things, which is really cool, which so, and I, I like to think about that whenever, you know, I love the show, but sometimes it does get a little bit stressful or you know, there's kind of a lot going on, but I just remind myself that, you know, this is the show that kind of started all of these other things. And so I'm just extremely grateful for that. That sounds really cool. All, all those things sound, sound super interesting. Yeah. This, so this is just all over the last year. So this has been a really, it's been a whirlwind of a fun, fun year. One other question I had is going back to, uh, back to failureology. We do marbles every, every 10th episode. So instead of something failing, we look at something that is really cool in the world that's related to engineering why do we do marvels every 10th episode <laughs> so the marvels as well as the engineering news at the beginning of every episode there's a couple reasons one was i wanted to do that because the failures are so heavy and i thought that the news and the marvels would break that up a little bit and make it a little bit less depressing also i wanted to try to set the show apart and i thought that doing you know, doing the news and the Marvels would make the show interesting in different ways that would maybe draw some more some more listeners in and some more interest in. Plus, I mean, the Marvels are really fun. And and the other thing too about the Marvels, so I had I hadn't intended to do it this way, but once I start researching the Marvels, there's always stuff that goes wrong during construction. Any engineering project that's so complicated that it gets Marvel status never goes off perfectly. And so there's always stuff that goes wrong along the way. But no one ever really talks about it because it's this big, fancy Marvel. And so that's been kind of cool is to almost talk about the little challenges that they had along the way as they built this really cool project. Yeah, because like we've, we've talked about the International Space Station. So anytime you're putting anything into space, there's going to be significant challenges to overcome there. We talked about the, the tunnel at 
goes underneath the English Channel that connects England and France. And that was a project that was a very long time in the making and certainly had some significant setbacks. And then we talked about the Panama Canal again. That had significant setbacks. How do you build a canal between the Atlantic Ocean and the Pacific Ocean through a mountain or between mountains? There, there were a lot of design challenges back then that they were dealing with to figure out how to make the Panama Canal work. And now it's one of the most used or one of the most important shipping routes and connections in the world. Yeah. And then don't forget about the Leaning Tower of Pisa, which is a marvel or a failure. I think the jury's still out on that one. If you listen to it, though, it's the last episode just before this one, episode 35. I didn't notice until I was editing that I said that's so interesting over and over again. I was like, man, Nicole, you're saying that so much. Oh, Nicole, that's so interesting. Right? So I can promise all of those were sincere. I meant every single one of them. That was such an interesting project. Who would have thought? I, I almost... It's not that I didn't want to do it, but I, I went into it with such low expectations for what I was going to find. And I was blown away. Such an interesting story. So interesting. Oh. And then upcoming next, we have our next failure that we're going to cover in episode 40, which is coming up soon, is the CN Tower in Toronto, which is exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, we can get some Canadian engineering Marvel content on our show. Yeah, I've been trying. I do focus. Well, I do try to focus on Canadian content. It's hard though. There's a lot more failures in the U.S. and I don't. I'm not picking on them. I just think they're a bigger country, and you know they've they've tried to be a little bit more out there as far as some of their their designs. And they're pretty big on you know reports and collecting information. So a lot of those already have the info kind of there for me. But I would love to do more failures from other parts of the world. So if you have any failures that we haven't covered that you want to hear us talk about, let us know. Please send us an email, reach out to us on Twitter, LinkedIn. There's many ways to get a hold of us. We'd love to hear from you. We, as I mentioned, we have an ongoing list of failures that we're continuously updating. So send us your list and we will definitely add them. Thanks everyone for joining us on our one year anniversary summary episode. We hope this episode gave you a little bit of insight into how we make and produce the show. It was it was a really fun episode for me to record, and I also got to learn some things about failureology that I didn't know <laughs> for things that happened before I was a co-host on the show. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please rate, review, and subscribe to Failurology so more people can find us. If you want to chat with us, our Twitter handle is at Failurology. You can email us at thefailurologypodcast at gmail.com. You can connect with us on LinkedIn, and you can join our Patreon page. Check out the show notes for links to all of these. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Our next episode is about the 2003 Northeast Blackout. Bye, everyone. Talk soon.